Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Uh, we are going to discuss today, uh, in continuation with our last episode, on what's happening in the age of data overload, distraction, and destruction. We talked about distractions last time. This time, we'll be discussing about the destructions, what's happening around us in the environment. I have with me Gaurav Rastogi, a corporate yogi from California, to discuss the destruction in the age of distraction. Uh, Gaurav is CEO of a future of work startup InfiNotes, which he started after a long career in driving sales transformation at an $8 billion software services company. He's also an author of two business books, Gaurav is a unique personality who has the right mix of spirituality and business acumen. He is also the founder of a nonprofit, Mantra Chakra Foundation, that promotes healthy living through meditation and yoga. He is a meditation teacher with advanced yoga credentials and has also authored one meditation ebook and a podcast on meditation called Living Meditation, which is available on iTunes and many other media. Welcome, Gaurav. Hello, Mahesh. Happy to be back. So, Gaurav, we are continuing our discussion from the last episode, which we talked about distraction. Now, we'll address today the destruction. So, now, destruction in the age of distraction is becoming quite prominent. I call it age of destruction, but destruction is happening. The old paradigms and time-tested concepts are being challenged, destroyed, and replaced by new thinking. The geopolitical shift with rising nationalism are creating a possible crisis for globalization. The new startups are replacing the industrial giants as the top market companies. Now, the question in everyone's mind is, what are these destructions and how they impact us all. So, Gaurav, what do you think is happening around us? This is a, an interesting problem to, uh, to think about. Uh, it's not as if uh, economies are going down or companies are shutting down every day or uh, the global markets are, um, are have, have completely collapsed. That's not happening. There is a a very clear destruction that's underway. And that's that a certain kind of institution is under threat. And a new kind of institution is on the rise, whether it's political institution or economic institution or corporate or even education. And that destruction in the way things are and the, th the way things have been in the last few decades, that destruction of the old way is what we're seeing everywhere uh, around us. And that has a, a big implication, a massive implication on how we would continue to lead uh, our corporate uh, careers and how people entering the workforce now should look at uh, their own careers and, uh, and plan their own uh, professional as well as spiritual life. Now, the reason I'm making a clear connection between the professional and the spiritual life is uh, as machines encroach more and more into the human sphere, uh, which is, uh, you know, they're, we're automating uh, my own company, Bill's uh, AI software. As we're, as AI and automation are coming into the work sphere, as algorithms are invading into uh, sort of the old uh, uh, human ways of doing things, humans have now to 
not as much as retreat as return to their home base, which is their own spiritual uh, uh, center. And so professional and spiritual are not two separate things. In fact, uh, even now, uh, it is pretty obvious if you look carefully uh, that um, these two worlds are not separate and they must be joined together. More so now, now that the old ways of um, working are being destroyed before our eyes. Right. So if you, if you look at it, let's, let's break into pieces. But if you start addressing with what's happening to the business models. So the simple obvious ones that you see around us is, is it, it's destruction of the traditional models where capital was a big need. A lot of capital was needed. So if you look at Apple as a company, uh, U.S. government would classify as a manufacturer. Yes, they don't manufacture anything. They don't have plants themselves to make phones or other equipment, but they have several brick and mortar stores worldwide. So, uh, but at the same time, even if you count them as a manufacturing company, still if you see the market value it creates, and let's say in the ratio of capital they deploy, they are creating almost double the market value for the same capital deployed as compared to the traditional business model, traditional companies like Exxon. You know, some of these things are, are changing very fast. So the current economic environment basically is allowing businesses, companies with virtually no physical capacity to compete and compete very powerfully, very efficiently against companies with capital heavy uh, business models. I would rather say they have more chance of success now than the capital heavy traditional models. Look at uh, Alibaba, just go uh, on the other side of the world. Most valuable retailer, you can call it, no inventory. Airbnb, so largest provider of, provider of accommodation, but no real estate. Similarly, Uber, if you look at largest car service, no cars. So basically what has happened is those models are getting destroyed and are being replaced by new business models, which are totally unheard of in the traditional sense as business was being run in the past. And if you see, they're, they are, they're taking all, all the friction out of the industry. They're connecting buyers and sellers directly and very conveniently. And they are literally enabling a new, uh, nearly capital-free business models. Right. So the old playbook is definitely in, uh, in decline. Uh, the old playbook of having heavily integrated capital intensive uh, and planning oriented businesses where meticulous tracking of, uh, of metrics and meticulous ranking of employees, all of those, those systems that have been developed over the last 200 years, they're, uh, they're definitely face, facing the heat. Um, Every industry. Point. Sorry for interruption, Gaurav. What you said, the knowledge-based. So basically, then we can say the 21st century companies, they own tons of capital, but it's in a different form. It's a knowledge economy. It's not just in brick mortar or the cash, or while they create a lot of cash also, but the deployment to create a business. And uh, yeah. the only problem is the accounting cannot measure and call it a capital. So there is tons of intellectual capital involved with all the companies we just talked about. It may be in the form of software, it may be in the form of patents, it can be copyright, it could be brands, and there could be any other kind of knowledge base. And, and could have cap, customer capital in the form of relationships with buyers, and it could be human capital. 
because you're more human being they're using the knowledge industry now sure um, what's happening across industries is uh, if you look the hyphen tech part of the industry is invading into uh, the mainline industry now what i mean by that is if you look at finance uh, there's finance hyphen tech which is fintech there's health hyphen tech health tech you look at hotel hyphen tech transportation hyphen tech everything has a hyphen tech uh, component of their business and that's the thing that's threatening them most and uh, the uh, the interesting thing i find about this is that um eventually they'll all be doing the same thing but the old guys are not catching up to the fact that they're no longer in the old business even though it looks and you know appears physically the same what's changed is the inside so if you look at um if you look at um, e-commerce for example uh they're retailers and um and they have online online presence and but they also have physical presence so in many ways what you're going to see is uh physically they might end up having the same infrastructure amazon has warehouses amazon now has stores amazon now has delivery uh, so it has pretty much all the trappings that every other company in that industry has except for one uh, big difference which is that it no longer thinks of itself as a um so as a certain kind of retailer it you know they believe they're a different kind of retailer they think of themselves as an e-commerce company primarily uh, so so the difference really is in how you perceive yourself as an industry and as a provider of um, of services or products to your customers and that hyphen tech part is doing a much better job of of uh, reaching customers of rethinking the business model of making things easier for customers to buy or consume and of uh, being able to uh, not uh, being able to uh, to unshackle themselves from um, the old ways of thinking i mean uh, another example that i see all the time is if you're a 150 year old bank then you have to deal with 150 years of banking knowledge that you have gathered over the over the years which would be ideally great if you're knowledge based industries but that's not really the case a 150 year old bank remembers a lot of what's gone wrong over the last 150 years so it's become very careful about making choices and decisions they have lost in many ways you rightly said the 150 years or or that many years of knowledge so suppose the banks have to modernize and become in in this world of tech currencies of fintech you said and cryptocurrencies and all that it is much more difficult for them to adapt to new technology the old processes and the system which are in place for so long whereas for a new incumbent a technology company to become bank could be easier because they have the technology which the bank needs to change to that technology but that's much difficult than a technology company to become a bank and and you are seeing yeah. the result of it uh, how many people are using banks if you look at it uh the model of banking is probably i don't know whether it's going to change or uh, or should i use the word is getting uh, heading towards destruction because who had heard uh, maybe 15 years ago of apple pay paypal paytm money transfer mechanisms with almost no fee 
you know, you have so many the Zooms and the other um, uh, Western Union money transfer money grams. So many technology-driven platforms have come in. So what you say, I totally agree with you there. And, and if you also look at the initial days of internet when it just came out, and I remember when the insurance companies, when the, the internet started offering insurance services, the premiums plunged because people had more choice. And if you look at when uh, the internet was used for booking airlines and hotels, the travel agents business was totally crushed. It got destroyed. And now, yeah. uh, the, another example which I see, I don't know it will head in that direction. Who thought that Gillette could be challenged or Procter and Gamble on shaving and men grooming products? Now Dollar Shave Club, there's so many people coming who are just using the e-commerce to the point you just mentioned. Yeah, but you know, uh, the thing that people often get confused about is this isn't about new technology. It, it seems to be that. It is, in fact, not about new technology. Some of the, the banks or large companies can easily outspend the small, you know, startups on technology many, many orders of magnitudes over. It's not at all about the new technology itself. It's about uh, a different kind of transformation. And that transformation is really a, uh, in quote, spiritual transformation, which is to say that you are no longer thinking of yourself as a type of company. You're thinking of yourself as a, a tech kind of company, a hyphen tech. Now, for example, if you look at finance, some of the leading financial services companies in the world, now if you look at their 10Ks and 10Qs, think of themselves as technology companies in the business, in this finance business, right? So what's happened is not the outward manifestation of which specific technology you use, whether you're onto blockchain or you're not. That is an emanation of a much deeper and completely invisible internal transformation. And that is a, uh, you can call it a spiritual transformation, which is, I am no longer the company that I used to be. I am no longer the person I used to be. I am now a, an altogether new type of organization. The problem, of course, is habits, processes, uh, institutional memory that you cannot forget. And that runs, if you know, of course, online. In politics, there's a polit you know, popular conspiracy theory in many countries about this whole thing about the deep state, which is to say that the bureaucracy and the, the, the forces state are are conspiring to stop the forces of change. All of that is simply that there is inbuilt inertia in organizations. And that inertia is not because people are evil or stupid. It is that they have not had this personal transformation, uh, uh, spiritual transformation that, hey, we used to be in, in the banking business or the, you know, the retail business, but now we're a fintech or an e-commerce company or what have you. That personal transformation is a leader's job to have for themselves and to now influence their entire organization uh, to have that transformation. That's a big challenge that companies uh, are facing. The leaders are failing because the playbook that they've been using is failing. And much like in biblical times, sometimes you realize that when you have disasters, uh, either the gods are angry or uh, you must be not doing something wrong. And usually the conclusion in biblical times was, hey, we probably did something to upset the gods. Let's do more of whatever it is that we were doing. 
And so what's happening is companies are doubling down on sort of a, a more retrograde strategy. Outwardly, they're saying every company CEO you talk to is going to say, look, no, no, we're all into this whole digital transformation. That's all good. We're all high on tech now. But inwardly and to themselves personally, they haven't had that transformation. They're not willing to let go of the past. They're not willing to let go of a framework of thinking and a way of engaging with themselves and their customers and their own employees and their entire value chain, the whole ecosystem. That transformation is what is causing the destruction. There is so much being created right now, but it's being created by people and companies that get it, that have made the transformation and are willing to do what it takes to follow through on that internal transformation. Right? It's going to be... It's going to be a very uh, sort of uh, vexing thing because a lot of time you won't be able to explain to your organization or to your customers or to your stakeholders why you're making a, a change which seems sudden. So if you remember when Netflix was switching over, uh, you remember they were a, a DVD mailer service and um, and then they switched to streaming and then they they did something that immediately caused a lot of panic in their stakeholders because uh, people assumed mistakenly that Netflix does not get it and that there'll be a consumer backlash. And uh, surprise, surprise, everyone switched to streaming and no one's shipping DVDs anymore. That is very true. If you see, even, Gaurav, um, uh, we are now heading for a quick break, but before going to the break, I just wanted to add to your last point was just look at uh, the acquisition of Skype by Microsoft. So if Microsoft paid $2 billion for Skype. Now, what's the value of Skype if you look at it? So they started giving free or low cost calls with Skype. But when people started using Skype, they killed the business or the phone companies, the conventional telecommunication companies, the old guard telecom companies which did not change to that medium, it got lost, it got destroyed and the value was almost $37 billion. That is what they used to earn from those customers who started using Skype and they're using low cost or literally no cost calls. So what's the right value here? Is it the $2 billion Microsoft paid or the $37 billion decline? And that number is from uh, McKinsey Institute in their research. So that's the kind of values uh, 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 which are visible when the old models are getting destroyed and are being replaced by the new ones. Gaurav, we'll take a short break and we'll continue in our second segment. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me uh, Gaurav Rastogi from California and we are discussing uh, destruction of business models and many other things around us in the environment. Gaurav, we are talking about the change and the destruction of business models in our first segment and uh, let's continue from there. Sure. So we were talking about how uh, industry after industry is being transformed by this uh, innermost spiritual change of becoming a hyphen tech company and being a technology first company. But really, it's about being able to create new uh, new offers, new uh, easy ways of engaging with the customers and a new way of creating value. Uh, the old PNL method of creating value, which is profit and loss statement, is uh, is surprisingly uh, to me under threat. When I went to B school a couple of decades ago, uh, we were taught that uh, you had to make uh, profits in every transaction, or at least uh, by the end of the quarter and for the full year, because that's what your shareholders want. But the new kind of math is quite different. Uh, it turns out that uh, you could you could not make profits yourself. You could actually destroy value in in entire industry and therefore be really valuable yourself as a company. Um, you, you talked about Skype in the previous segment. You look at WhatsApp, same thing. Uh, you know, someone paid $19 billion for a company with less than 50 people. Why? Because they were, they've completely transformed the way people communicate. Uh, SMSs used to, we had to pay for SMSs, we had to pay for calls. You and I both remember times when we had to pay more than $2 for every minute of an international call. Now, who pays anything for a call? That is exactly true. That was pretty high. And, and you know, you bring in a very good point on the profit and loss account. And, and that's what is happening in the industry. Uh, and uh, one of the sources of intense pressure on the conventional business is the rise of new competitors who are willing to sacrifice profits for growth. And if you look at uh, Amazon, very clear statement that, you know, it doesn't matter if, if we don't make profit quarter after quarter or maybe no profit. And, and what's the end result? Investors have also agreed with CEO Jeff of Amazon that the money is better invested in expansion and the future profit will be much greater as a result. And what happens to the stock price if that's a barometer of how you're performing on your P&L? It is recently at all-time high. <laughs> so the companies were focused only on the profit. That business model from the past has been totally destroyed, which was just going as earning per share. That's how the only share, the way the share value goes up, different with Amazon. Yeah, well, not just that. Again, maybe uh, it's a cliche to use Silicon Valley type companies, but you look at another company where um, WeWork, and there was an interesting study that came out that WeWork was valued at five times its nearest competitor, which was already five times uh, that company in revenues, something like that. The core thing was WeWork said, we're not a real estate company, we're a startup community company. And, And now you could argue that whoever is paying for that Foolish thought is a fool. You could argue that. Or you could argue that uh, they're seeing the world differently from everybody else. And and that's what's going to change um, the industry. Uh, more than 15 years ago, there was this very interesting magazine uh, cover. I'm sure you remember it, Mahesh. 
it was Amazon.toast, <laughs> which was not about how toasts will be delivered on Amazon. It was simply about how this company is bust. This There's no future for this company and it's, it's gone. It's just, it is toast, right? And, and now we all know who the richest man in the world is and no one frankly remembers who wrote that article. So just work it. So, so that's what's happening. Every industry, there's a new kind of math, there's a new kind of uh, uh, corporate model, capital model, um, and there's a new way of engaging uh, in business, which has not been taught to us, which has not been baked into us through indoctrination schools. Each of these large companies, of course, Mahesh, you and I both remember this, all large companies or wannabe large companies had these leadership schools, right, where they sent their best and brightest young people through their entire careers, and they were trained on how to eat food, how to carry themselves, and of course, how things work in this company. And turns out, if everyone looks the same in your company, you're probably not diverse enough in order to have these new kind of thoughts, in order to have thoughts that do run the risk of failure, and indeed fail most of the times, and yet you come out succeeding because you've taken the risks. So, again, to stay back to, to the Amazon story, a couple of years ago, Amazon had a massive failure with the Fire Phone, which, of course, no one uses anymore, a $200 phone that they you know, they used, Android phone. And so somebody asked uh, Jeff Bezos, is this like, what, do you have, how, what do you have to say about this failure? And he says, well, all I can say is, if you think this is a failure, you ain't seen nothing yet. I have bigger failures lined up than the Fire Phone. Because the only reason that I can create a $10 billion business three times, four times in a row is that I have the ability to take these risks and risks involve uh, failure. And I'm okay with that. The thing is, you tell me which of these corporate uh, finishing schools, if you remember, right, the leadership schools, taught people to take risks and, and risk failure. They were taught the risk-taking gene was taken out of the people, right? This is how we do things. This is our process. This is our sanskar, as they say in Sanskrit. And and this is how we're going to go. Everything is now up. Um, up and, and everyone who has that way of thinking has seen a reckoning or has one coming anytime soon. I think that's a great point because that one way of doing things which was built on the past experiences and the experiences repeated again was trying to eliminate the risk factor, the innovation part of it. That's very true. Another very good point you mentioned that's changing the relationship. It's the, the, the new business models are changing the way relationships are between the customer and the supplier. At the same time, it is changing the relationship between employer and employee. See, that's, that's, yeah. that's also happening and is destroying the conventional uh, model of hiring people for a long time and you may have full-time workers who, are un- who really are not needed full-time, but there was no way out. You had to come and sit in a room or in a factory or somewhere, you had to do it. So, uh, since it was easier to uh, constantly hire and fire instead of pulling into the resources that are needed, all that kind of stuff is getting replaced by companies like Upwork or some of them, what you call hourly nerds, where you can hire consultants, you can hire your business school graduates, and you can get anything done up to strategic planning. You can run businesses out of it. And, and that relationship between <coughs> sorry, between employee and the employer is changing. What we're going to do is um, 
Gaurav, we will take a short break and uh, we will discuss about the employee-employer relationship and how the relationship is changing and what is getting destroyed in the labor markets. We will be exploring about it in our second session, in the third session. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Gaurav Rastogi from California today. We are talking about the destruction happening around us in all aspects, business models, the way people think about business, the way they think about education, the way they work. Uh, during the last segment, we were talking about at the end, what's happening in the relationship between employee and employer. And, and how the full-time employment is not the most sought after now. There is a change. There are self-employed, more people working on as a contractor and providing their expertise uh, across the globe. Uh, what do you see, Gara? Which way the relationship going? So the way uh, I think about this is uh, is to draw a line uh, which is a spectrum of the degree of skill and expertise that you would need to have and at the the ends at both ends it uh, it's becoming increasingly difficult to be part of a of a sort of corporate infrastructure uh, for the long term in the middle maybe not as much and I'll explain what that means when when you're looking at high levels of skill mastery uh, you you have to realize that Individual companies are like islands and people rise up the island as they go along their careers. And because as, as Darwin saw at uh, the, the island of Galapagos, uh, the longer you stay on the island, the, the more specialized you become for that island. Your beak is, you know, five inches and, or five and a half inches because the flowers there are that, uh, that deep. So, so what happens with islands of, of expertise is uh, you're no longer available uh, in the market. And where high-skill expertise is required, people find it more useful to either have a full-time job with side gigs that allow them to keep learning stuff or keep switching in and out of companies or to work uh, for themselves as consultants and uh, and monetize their, their expertise uh, differently. 
that's at the high end of the uh, expertise. On the low end, where low skills are required, you're looking at two trends. Uh, the first trend that you're looking at is um, if it's repeatable, low-skill work, then companies don't want that employee base in-house because they're, they're going to try to automate it eventually. So the trend over the last 20 years has been, well, why don't you outsource this? Why don't you offshore it? You globalize the work. Just take the problem away from me. And, and, and so a lot of the workers, you know, Apple's manufacturing team does not work for Apple. They work for other companies. And so there's a very clear sort of shifting of employment base to other companies or other geographies and companies. That's one trend. The other is, at the other extreme end, the more low-skilled and repeatable the job is, the more likely it is that automation is coming for those jobs, AI is coming for those jobs. It's not a bad thing. This is how the economy works. But you're going to see the rise of digital labor. People, uh, people thinking of, of robot applications as employees because uh, they, these could be seen as full-time employee equivalent. And, and now you have, and you know, they're low fast, they don't take breaks, they're always predictable. So, so, so there's a, a sort of blending of man-machine right there where a lot of repeatable work is being shunted over to machine-like. For example, if you need to reset your, uh, your password because you, you forgot it or something went wrong, it's a very predictable process. And because it's predictable, you could train a machine to do it. And if you can train a machine to do it, you should train a machine to do it. Let the humans do something which is less predictable. So, so at the low, low skill and high predictability end, uh, there is a, uh, uh, there is this problem which is you want the work to go to some other company or some other place. And you, you, you're not averse to having machines do that piece of work because it can be automated. If you look at what Amazon is doing, going back to their example, with their warehouses, their warehouses are not necessarily filled with stalker elves that are taking things out and putting them into boxes. Now they're putting in more and more robots, highly sophisticated robot, um, robots to do this. But all of this is being done, uh, uh, all across. So at these extreme ends of the spectrum, either high skill or very low skill, uh, the employment contract with the company uh, long term is not quite that robust. Then you're left with medium skill or where context matters. And eventually institutional memory is going to be your your key reason why you still have humans working in your in your organization because some people someone needs to remember what is it that uh, that uh, that we do and how we do things. But other than that, people want people who want to surf at the at the edge of their skills, right? Always learning new skills and not letting their skills expire. They're better off moving from company to company. Mm-hmm. So that that you bring in a very good point, and the key there probably is the digital piece, because the strength in traditional businesses was built by training and developing finite set of people. That was their strength. It's being destroyed by collecting point of global expertise. It could be available anytime, anywhere in the world, and they'll be delivering the work package to you, what you want to get done. So without digital, that was not possible uh, earlier. So that's destroying the traditional model of building the training and developing the finite set. Now you can pull in the expertise from anywhere else. 
which is which is uh, uh, very true. And I just want to quote here: the former Cisco CEO John Chambers said that soon you will see huge companies just two employees, the CEO and the CIO. It sounds crazy if you say, but he has been uh, pretty good in his predictions uh, on, on the new age. So that's here you go. The, the existing model totally gets destroyed on, on how the employee and employer relationship would remain. Yeah, uh, even then within the organization, fostering a sense of community, fostering a sense of purpose, and giving the organization a, a unique identity that's, that's not generic, and, and infusing the spirit of the organization with, uh, with energy. All of those are, are things that the leaders have to do. And more so now when people are sometimes just passing through. So, so now in order to make use of, of, of talent, you have to be able to rise taller and speak louder and being able to engage more people directly uh, through charisma or, uh, or some other kind of skill mastery, but not personal charisma as much as sort of the ability to influence lots of people. Those are, are, are the things that a leader must do. So uh, much earlier we talked about connecting. Leaders have to connect to their own heart in order to connect to the hearts of uh, the community around them. All of those are, are extremely important, more so now than before. Yes, and if you see if, if the type of employment is changing relationship, uh, it will be, it has direct implication how people get educated. Now, what do you do? How do you get ready for uh, the new upcoming business models? Yeah, education is being, uh, there is a massive change that education is, is going to go undergo and sooner the better. Because clearly this education system was designed maybe about 200 years ago. The same industrial language and, and uh, processes were being used. So the, the language and mathematics of the old industrial uh, age uh, was being used, which is you have like a, a, a conveyor belt and you're stamping kids in and out of your education conveyor belt. The problem with that is uh, after 10, uh, after 12 years of, of, of high school and four years of, of undergrad education, what you're still getting is people who have acquired some kind of knowledge which hasn't been updated. But even if they're state of the art today, uh, just like with software downloads, right? You now need to update your software all the time because that's that's what you're doing now. How do you download education into people as they're working? And this is a big challenge for corporates as well, which is how do I make sure that the people I have have the highest skill? And which is why companies have to figure out, well, we can't stand up a large university. It's expensive and it's not, uh, you know, it's not going to be the state of the art. How do we use these massively on, uh, massively uh, online courses, right? So MOOCs. Uh, or how do we use online universities or Khan Academy type uh, training? Uh, how do we get people to consume and have avail learning and training available to them throughout their working life? And opportunities to learn must persist, not just in the, you know, those, those times when all the knowledge you needed, you could acquire in 16 years of, a, you know, high school and college education. That world does not exist anymore. Every year you have a, you know, you have a flu vaccine. Why is it that we do not have a, an education update every year, every quarter? And, and what are the systems that will deliver those? How many people will leave work 
and take a you know two year break to go back to another masters on something because again it's expensive but people will actually engage parallelly with their work through executive education or even do fractional work i'm only interested in this little thing and i want to learn it a lot of these models haven't yet been developed but education is itself being disrupted very and and sooner the better even undergrad and high school education is is quite useless in preparing people for uh, the work at hand we are not taught how to manage ourselves we are not taught how to manage our relationships we are not taught how to uh, how to learn we just taught a set of facts that we can now google and get quickly so clearly an education that does not prepare us for the real world is not quite useful so so the education system itself is is likely to face a massive uh, massive um, uh, disruption anytime uh, as we speak now we need to take a short break and uh, we will continue our discussions after the break become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com/voiceamerica us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, and we are having a very interesting discussion today with uh, Gaurav Rastogi from California. Uh, in the last segment, we talked about the education system, how it is changing, what's happening there. Uh, Gaurav, in this section, let's talk about maybe if I take the liberty of calling it geopolitical destruction. That what's happening around there with the governance. what's happening in various countries the democracies and others what's happening how how things are changing so one school of thought says that the geopolitics is taking shape of geoeconomics and it is using the grammar of commerce in the play that's become more important yeah uh, borders are interesting but commerce is even more interesting that's uh, that's the thing that's the thing geopolitics and national uh, politics is definitely undergoing a massive disruption or destruction uh, and and what's happening is several things and this is consistent across right uh, clearly there is a you know there is a there's a study we did recently democracy is in decline which is to say that uh, freedoms that 
you know that company countries have, have generally exposed to their uh, their population that's uh, coming that's somewhat shrinking that's that's one thing the uh, the other thing is uh, regional or, or national identity is reasserting itself if you're looking at brexit or the american grandstand or even nationalism from china or india and other places clearly there is a reassertion of national identity every country realizes that they must first take care of themselves before they go out and and help others and so that's definitely disrupting the world order and um, and, and there's a, a reversal in many ways of uh, of the pattern that had been established over the last 4 uh, 5 decades uh, but it's not um, all all uh, disruption on this side something else is going on there is a, uh, a sort of reglobalization that's going on where culturally or economically or even um, uh, politically there is a reglobalization that's going on where the language from one country spills over into another where uh, culture from one country spills over into others you're looking at uh, uh, bollywood which is india's movie industry is now big in china who would have thought of that and uh, you know amir khan one of the leading actors in india is 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 called uncle amir khan and he's super popular in china and that's great diplomacy again it's not mediated by the government these are non state actors uh, you know when we think of non state actors we're thinking mostly we think of these terrorists isis or somebody you look at yeah but you look at you know facebook is a non state actor google is a non state actor uh, you know uh, hollywood and bollywood are non state actors they're not run by you know some cabal of all knowing uh, people but they still wield a massive influence on each other's uh, country twitter has had a, a major impact on geopolitics where many country revolutions were mediated through twitter or, or even in iran a, a couple of months ago we saw that telegram the app on the phone was being used as a way to for people to gather and and shake news because of course it's encrypted the government can't read your telegram messages clearly these are non state actors that work across geographical boundaries or national boundaries and have power outsized compared to uh, what you would have uh, previously thought they did so now governments have to reckon with these non state actors and uh, look at the development like us one of the presidential candidates used twitter to such a good effect Well, you look at how Russia meddling in the United States again. You look at fake accounts. You look at fake ads they bought on Facebook. Um, and this is not controversial, right? This is—it's true. It's happened, and it'll happen again. And all of these are now state actors using non-state actors. It's completely confusing. So the world order that used to make sense um, some time ago, even if we didn't agree with it, uh, it really makes sense now because everything we know has changed. Uh, why is nationalism good or bad who could say but you bring in a very yeah, good point because the scale of these companies if you look at the size of amazon that would be more than gdp of several countries put together and the, the way they have achieved the scale some of the new generation companies uh, you know uh, they they are even bigger than some of the nations and um, if you look at google itself how many billions of searches every day happening and they have the best probably real time knowledge of what's going on in the world any time than any individual government can have because 
it, 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 their research, Google research, if I'm correct, it says they can predict where the disease will break out or there will be outbreaks because of some reasons. What are the stock market movements that can happen? And you know, these kind of details can influence elections. Like Facebook has 105 billion users or more. That's much more than the population of China. 1.05. Yeah? Uh, 1.05. 1.0, it's close. Well, yeah, maybe slightly smaller in that case. Uh, but if you look at, you know, they are even started to predicting personalities, their, their successes in work and their personal affairs. And if you look at Apple, they have more cash. At some point of time, they had more cash in hand than the Treasury. If you look at this Indian yeah. company, Airtel, and they have as many customers as is the population of U.S., as many residents are here. And look at so, how many people work in Walmart. Uh, if you see the yeah. size of these companies is increasing, it's, it's unbelievably big. So they have an influence. So these positive non-state actors were positive influence on the society here. Yeah, and it works both ways. There's, there's a fun story from um, India that uh, that I'd like to sort of bring out here, which is uh, the rise of nationalism when coupled with uh, with corporate um, uh, uh, ingenuity can create giants in, in no time. So there's this company which is uh, based on the in India, which is based on the principle of look Swadeshi, which is homegrown, and there's this company called Patanjali. Uh, and of course, I'm into yoga, so I'm happy to hear that name in any case. But this is a yoga guru who has an Ayurveda or business. But in 10 years, what they've done is amazing. He has created India, one of India's largest fast-moving consumer goods companies. It now has a revenue of $1.6 billion, completely shaking the, the, the hundreds of years, I mean, 100 year plus hold of Unilever in India or Colgate or Nestle. All of these very traditional and very localized companies are not global companies by any means in India. But they were all shaken to the core because this one company comes in and says, look, I'm all about nationalism. I'm all about making uh, things that are traditional in a traditional way. And their branding, their, their, uh, the, the way they approach, the way they, they did their retail, everything is completely homegrown. And it has... And so this mixing of nationalism and corporate has created this giant in no time. Other companies are now trying to copy this back and saying, okay, no, no, ours is also a local brand and we also use ancient wisdom from, uh, you know, from the country and so on. But you can see how this works. You look at the Chinese giants as well, Tencent, Weibo, Alibaba. These are, you know, these are companies that are hyper-local. I mean, they are, they're definitely a very national company. They're not international in their in their um, outreach as much, but the influence they have on everybody else is still outsized. Correct. You know, Garav, I wanted to share with you and our listeners today, you know, why do companies exist? Why do businesses exist? And um, uh, this is a good question on which uh, Ronald got the English economist who won a Nobel Prize in economics. He answered it very well. He says in a theoretical word, not a practical, so differentiated. The global economy is something which spins like a top based on price signals between individual operators, but with no apparent need for big companies. There's no need. But in the real world, he pointed out that there are negotiations to be undertaken. Contracts have to be drawn up. Inspections have to be made. Arrangements have to be made to settle disputes and all that kind of stuff. So what he is, he highlighted was 
then there are transaction costs. There's a friction to get things done. And consolidating transactions inside the companies is the most efficient way of handling them. So now as the technology is shrinking these costs, all the costs which go into it, most companies can unbundle themselves. They can outsource function to others. They were doing it earlier. The sourcing was getting outsourced. outsourced. They can crowdsource the R&D and they can exchange employees for contracts. So now there is a change. What he referred to was uh, extend the Hollywood model. You talked about Bollywood, the same thing, that in which people and resources come to achieve a goal and then disperse to other projects. Make one movie, people are coming, the makeup guy is coming, the artists are coming, but they don't belong to them. And it may become common across the economy that how the economies would be run in future. So basically, the, the, the change, the way it's coming with the, the speed, it's, it's a creative destruction. It's not bad. Yeah, the destruction is all around if you are wedded to the old framework, the old language, the old mathematics, the old uh, processes uh, that have been stable for so long. But if you're willing to engage with these in a positive way, if you're willing to engage with these in a way that you're willing to fail, you're willing to learn, you're willing to uh, listen to your voters, buyers, uh, employees, all of them, then this is not a bad kind of destruction. It's actually a very good kind of destruction because now you have another shot at creating something unique and interesting. Exactly. So there's a creative, there's a creativity, there's a destruction. So basically it's a creative destruction because if you look at it, you know, it looks like in today's discussion, the theme is that almost in every business there is destruction happening because the barriers to entry are coming down. They are getting lowered. So opportunity is more widely available than ever. So every person, every organization uh, can go for the, the new kind of assets needed. It's not in the past as it was a capital and a brick and mortar structure and manufacturing. I think those assets could be uh, openness to new ideas that how quickly you accept the new ideas, ingenuity and imagination because you'd imagine. So I think the, the whole thing is coming into now using the intellect, the ideas, ingenuity, uh, openness to ideas and imagination that will make uh, this destruction uh, go creative. Actually, it's going to go creative. It's, it's a very nicely positioned creative destruction, creating new society where the consumers are benefiting, actually. The costs are going down. The services are improving with this destruction. Sure, yeah. And that's what schools need to do. That's what governments need to think about. How do you create and un uh, sort of enable people to take risks, to, to think better, to think harder, and to solve uh, more creatively and, uh, and have more fun along the way. Perfect. So, Gaurav, thank you so much. Very interesting discussion on, on destruction in the current environment. Last episode, we covered distractions. So we have talked about distraction and destruction. Uh, and how do you lead in this age of distraction and destruction? We'll continue our discussions in the next episodes. Until then, uh, goodbye. Thank you, man.